Welcome to Symmetry Between Takes, a platform for humans to explore the hearts and minds of individuals all over the world through conversation. Symmetry. Symmetry is free. Symmetry is equal. Symmetry is balanced. Connection. Connection through speech. Speak to create balance. Symmetry is you and me. What's the deal with the djembe, too? Like, who wants to play the djembe? It's, it's usually the instrument that you're given because everybody has everything else that's cool. And they're like, well, you can hit the djembe if you want. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's got like two well, in noises. Any sort of, in any sort of band, it's always the drummer has to accommodate the room size. <laughs> hey, we got a show at, you know, Fox and Goose this Thursday. They don't, do full, they don't do a full they don't set. Do, they don't do full band. It's like, so everybody else gets to play what they always play. And then the drummer is left to like improvise. With the djembe. That's always how it was. And if it wasn't the djembe, it was the cajon. I think at one point I was just playing a sh- like a shaker. When we played at Fox and Goose, like I was just playing like a shaker with a airsoft. I know <laughs> airsoft PVs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wait, what, and what would you prefer? Like, would you prefer a djembe, a cajon, or just not playing? <laughs> just not playing. Yeah, and in some ways. It's- just be like, you know what, guys? I'll just sit this one out. Why don't you guys do the acoustic thing? I don't, I don't have to play. It quickly shows like the hierarchy within the band because say me, you and Jake back when we played in a band together, if we were about to play a show and all of a sudden the venue director was like, Hey, we don't like allow like guitar. And you'd be like, what do you mean? It's like, we don't like, like allow guitar at all. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just acapella. Bell yeah, voice. exactly. But, it, but in my case, me being a drummer, it's like, Oh no. Yeah. No, no drums. No, no percussion. Mm. So then it's like I'm forced to kind of adjust so that we can still play the show. But it's just like, here, like, Lodge, just, you know, shake this shaker. It's like, yeah, but I'm, but I'm the drummer. These songs are written with, like, full yeah. drum parts. Yeah, this is – I am just as much a part of this band as anybody. But it's like, oh, well, we don't want to – we don't want to blow people out of the way with the volume. So I just thought They're, like, eating that. their pasta off to the side. Yeah, that's why I always thought it was just so funny because it was – the drummer was very, very, very important, but until they weren't, until, <laughs> <laughs> until they weren't like joining me for this episode is like tribes, an artist and producer out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. He's also my older brother. I call him Eric. Me and Eric go way back. I've known him forever. There's a lot of dynamics to our relationship. We used to play in a band together. We were also co-workers. But most of all, Eric is one of my best friends. Because he's my older brother, I've always looked up to him. He's always been there for me. He's one of the most talented, intelligent, and incredibly funny human beings I've ever met in my entire life. September is an exciting month for Eric. He and his wife are celebrating 13 years of being together. His daughter, Stevie, is about to turn six. And today is his birthday. In this episode, we'll share stories about the good old days of playing in a band together. He'll share some of the experiences that he had living out in LA and the things he learned about the music industry. We'll talk about managing the ego and understanding the tormented soul that comes along with being an artist. 
and him truly finding himself in being a loving husband and a great dad. There's many attributes about Eric that I find very impressive, but most of all, it would have to be his heart. He's compassionate, he's supportive, and he truly has a heart for people. I've really been looking forward to this episode, so I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Happy birthday, Eric. This episode's for you. It was kind of crazy the lengths at which, like the amount of effort that we would put into playing an open mic. Yeah. I mean, yes, we, not to say that like we were like above it or something like that, but. We, we thought we were above it. What? We thought we were above it. <laughs> <laughs> we thought we were above it. Well, I, guess I mean, I'm, but it was like our, it was like our main thing. Like we, we it was our most consistent gig. We could play every Monday, every Wednesday, every Tuesday, if, if there was a random one that was open up. We like didn't want to do it, but we did it because we were we were playing consistently. Yeah, you know, it was like it took. We didn't have to promote. We just showed up. People knew we were going to be there. Like we loved it. I mean, at least you know I loved it. Right, I loved it too. But like I also like once we got there and we saw like you know no offense but like who else was playing? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I don't I don't well, was, I don't want to sound like a like an a hole like you know like we can can we swear we don't swear do. No, I swear on this. Oh, okay. I swear on this. I, I don't want to sound it. like an asshole, but yeah. like, you know, like yeah. when we we're a band that has played gigs after gigs after gigs, and then we go play open mic, but then like right after us is like someone who like maybe just started playing guitar yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was it was it was the convergence of a lot of different types of people with different types of agendas. Like for us, you know, at the time that we were doing our you know bellboys, we're gonna take the world by storm thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we would go and play open mics so because, because we had to be, we had to be playing like, yeah. like, come on, man. Like we got to be there. Like we got to show people that we're devoted. It's like, yeah, but it's an open mic. But like, you know, if we want this, we have to be out there every day. Put so in the time, put in the work, put in the hours. To promote, yeah. to, to pass out flyers to our next show, which like, those were all really, really good things. But there's also some people who just... You know, they're like, you know, a full-time attorney, and sometimes they like to go to Fox and Goose and play their, their folk songs, Get and that's Slurpee it. and play a little guitar, yeah. Yeah, they want to play their Grateful Dead covers, and we're sitting there in the green room. Establishing, <laughs> establishing our family's <laughs> net worth at Fox and Goose on a Monday night at 7. <laughs> Just to give you guys a little bit of a background, I mean, obviously, Eric and I are brothers, but I'd say the majority of our life... I would even say to this point has always been some form of collaborative artistic endeavor, like right. our entire lives. So right. with that comes so many shenanigans and so many different stories of any, any type of scenario you can think of musically good mm -hmm. and bad. We've probably been through it together. So I think in this era in particular that we're talking about, like let's call it the open mic circuit. Mm-hmm. At that time, the year 2010, me, you, and Jake were probably mm -hmm. playing open mics probably two to three times a week. Oh, easily. Yeah. Yeah, easily. And that was like as serious as... Coachella. <laughs> <laughs> At the time. I mean, given like the... Like, right? Uh, given the, the... What we were trying to accomplish and where we could play and what we had to yeah. give, like... It was all it was all we had to look forward to 
during the week, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, for the most part, because gigs started Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Right. Um, and we weren't really playing gigs. We didn't know anybody in town. Right. You know, so you were hitting the open mic circuit hard, rotating with all the different people. Yeah. Um, this was in Sacramento, California. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can, we can shout out some of those. Yeah, I mean, sh- you know, shout out Marty Taters, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> shout out Dave. Um, all, all the Daves. All the Daves. <laughs> um, shout out Stoneberry, you know, shout out. Um, who's the guy with the van, that like the camper van? Oh. What was his name? That was every musician. Yeah, he had like a van that like, like before camper vans were a thing, he lived in a van and would park it outside and we'd be like, hey, man, <laughs> you guys should stop by my place. You mean the van outside? Oh, the place that you're sitting in um, right now? I mean, but like Fox and Goose, where we go, Capital Garage on Tuesdays. Pangea. Yeah, Pangea. Went, Pangea was litty. Yeah. Pangea, shout out, Rob. When I think about open mic, I think about mainly Pangea because it became a place that we essentially like and like like no bullshit we like showed up and people showed up to watch us play they knew we were going to be there on Wednesdays there was other people that played that were just as you know had just as much of a following built-in following that would show up as well but like they kind of like catered to us in a sense that like we played at the right time when the most people were there because we had like the most energy full band we played and, and we played, you, we played we, the we, same three songs. Yeah. <laughs> we were that band that you were making fun of in the beginning of the ones that like, you know, yeah. we would go then all out when everybody else plays out of the water. But they liked it because yeah. they got like a free show every Wednesday. And when you say they would accommodate us or they would basically the owners and the open mic host would build the night around us in a way. And yeah. and not just us, but like the people that we, we kind of surrounded ourselves with yeah. too, like Jesse you know, Naomi. Jesse Naomi, Project Four Trees, James um, Cavern. James Cavern. Or Jamesy. And like we would all like we kind of were at the time there's other people too that like Heroes Last Mission. Heroes Last Mission, uh Ricky Parnell, you know, people that would just were kind of getting their feet getting their like their establishment in a town, in a city that would be the place where you could go to see them. So it was easy for you as a music listener to show up to Pangea on Wednesday and see good music consistently. Right. And, and I mean, what more do you want from like a local neighborhood bar slash venue? It wasn't even really a venue. It was poor neighbors across the street. Like legit, it was crazy loud all the time, but you know, it was like a, it was a pub. They served like a, Belgian style beers. And it was like a very European kind of vibe. Uh, black owned business, you know, and it was, it was awesome. It was a really great place for us to find our, our groove, no pun intended. Um, in just what it meant to be part of like a scene or even establish a scene, find some people to play with, find some people not to play with, you know, and (laughs) (laughs) yeah, you know, um, but it was great. And, and that's when I think, when I think about open mic, I think about like that era, you know, that's where like we would all hang out as friends there. I hung out a lot with my wife there, like when we first met, and it was just the place right. to be. There was a lot of the dive bars and the grimy places too that we would go, but and those have their own place. But like, yeah, Pangea was Pangea was it.
I think the reason why Pangea was so special to us because it had to have been the foundation of us being in a ministry-driven family, church, and outreach and stuff like that. I feel like in some ways, subconsciously, we were trying to like cultivate this community by like playing with one another to then showcase each artist in the best way to support them, to kind of challenge one another. So I think it was rooted in a very, I don't want to say philanthropic or anything like that, but it was just, it, it wasn't just about us showing up and sounding good. It was more about building a community. Oh yeah. Community always, always building a community. Yeah. It what was, it? it was, it checked all the boxes for what we were used to doing. Like you mentioned the, you know, growing up in ministry and like being around like the church and, and the giving aspect of it and giving of your time. That's something that came so natural to us and where we felt most comfortable. So it was, it makes sense that we gravitated towards the open mic community because it's what it was. Like some people don't ever really move past the open mic scene. You know, that's like their thing. That's where they go. That's what they do. Like, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's just, I think what we did is we came in and loved it so much that we couldn't really like, like let go of it. Right. You know, it became where we wanted to be and what we wanted to do so much so that even later on, like we started our own and we started setting up our own events and, and, you know, cultivating them with the people that we want to have play and, you know, people that maybe didn't get a chance to get on the sign-up list or maybe their music was a little too rowdy or not that great or whatever. Right. Whatever reason why we saw, which is classic us, whatever reason we saw a, a group of artists or people being disenfranchised, we, like, gave them a platform and we wanted to create a space for them. It's like, that's all we've ever done and in, in anything that we've ever done is always try to, like build a community around it we couldn't just like go and play music and like i don't know have a career yeah (laughs) we had to like change the world at the same time or at least attempt to yeah i noticed that the most when we started that open jam thing at townhouse oh yeah in townhouse Townhouse, and rest in peace townhouse in in sacramento california we started uh an open jam which is essentially anybody can get up there and play meaning all you got to do is sign up and you had the option that when it was your time to go up there and perform your songs you could make the choice. Did you want to improvise and jam with people on stage or do you want to just bust out your own set? Mm -hmm. So we would have a drum set, we would have a house bass, we'd have a house guitar, and then we'd usually have like some MC on the mic or something like that. Spoken word or rapper or something. And it was cool because you could have some dude, some like folk singer who was just kind of like, hey, like, you know, I'm gonna do this song, but... I don't know why he has an accent. But. <laughs> <I was gonna laughs> say, hey, man, I'm going to do my folk song. Because every folk person just, hey, how you all do it? I play folk. But but on the real, though, <laughs> what it did, it had these two people from completely different musical backgrounds. So you had, like, a folk singer playing, like, his songs about, like, how he spent a couple nights in jail. And then there'd be, like, an MC in the corner and be like, hey, do you think you could do a little bit of that rap stuff? Like, <laughs> right when I – and then you would totally see – in real time, this like super the one that sticks out in my mind was when um, Marty Taters and I don't know who was rapping at the time. Basically, they did like a collab. Oh, it was bro who we we rented the studio space from. I don't remember his name, but anyway, he let us rent his studio space. We brought in all of our music equipment and like totally trashed the place. He kicked us. <laughs> oh, the rock kicks and roll. Guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. basically, every single week 
these two had been playing so much together that it was almost, it ended up being like an anthem for the night. It was the stop, hey, what's that sound? Everybody look what's... And then That's they would right, take yeah. that and then in between that, that the they would do rap verse. Rap, yeah. So it was cool. And everybody could kind of circulate like a cypher. It was like a cypher. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. I remember that. That was when I felt like, personally, that was when I felt like we had kind of started something that was new, but at the same time, like really, really did satisfy that desire that we had because we always had the desire to play and we always had the desire to have some taste of, you know, success, whatever that what whatever that could mean, like a big whether it's a big crowd, a kick ass show, just basically that affirmation that I feel like we were always what any band is looking for in town, like a following and stuff like that. So what we would do with these open open mics is that this open jam would have that freedom and that fun of just fooling around and jamming. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the crowd would love it so much. There was like this energy in the room, but you also didn't have to put so much emphasis on like rehearsal and like nailing the show or you see what I'm saying? Like it was like yeah. it had that electrifying feeling of a show. But at the end of the day, we were just jamming. So it was just kind of like it was whatever. So it felt like we just killed a show that came out of nowhere and we had no reservations about how we may have wanted it to go or so that's what I really really liked about it because I feel like when we were playing in the band although it was really really awesome like to be in a very very successful rock band I guess you will like requires a lot of practice and you have to sound good and you have to be consistent so there was a lot of pressure. <laughs> Those are like three things we never did. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why we're sitting on a couch doing a podcast. <laughs> no, but for real though, like yeah. I feel like at least when I was doing, I must speak for myself. When I was doing music, it was a kind of always unclear what exactly I wanted out of music mm-hmm. other than just wanting to do what came natural and feeling good about it. You know, and I can't honestly say that every single time we would like go out and play shows, it like fed my soul organically if that makes sense yeah so the open jam thing was cool well open open jam sort of like it's not a new idea right like people have been playing music together spontaneously and improvisationally since the beginning of music's existence essentially right so it wasn't like this grandiose like groundbreaking moment i think it it became exactly what it should have become in the way that it did, like we showed up to an open mic that was like one person, the bartender playing his guitar and serving drinks. And Brian, we just showed up, it? Brian, last name starts with an E. Can't really think of it. Is right this now. Fox and Goose? No, this is at, at uh, Townhouse. Like it was like a drum set set up. Oh, yeah, 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 we yeah, just yeah. Sh- we had nowhere else to go on a Monday night, and so we just showed up there, like six or seven of us, to play the open mic. Right. And we realized nobody was there, so we just started jamming out. And then we came back the next week, and then like a month later, it was like double the amount of people. Then like two weeks later, it was like four times the amount. At one point, it was packed. Like it was crazy. It like snowballed into this thing. But I think what it became, it became exactly what it was supposed to become, which was an open mic. Meaning, like, there was a yeah. mic on the stage. If you have something to say or if you want to do something, there it is. There was a couple ground rules, like, don't overplay, don't overstay your welcome. Like, if you suck, like, I'm sorry, but, like, get off the stage. Right. And that's just, I mean, no, that sounds harsh, but at the end of the day, like, if you can't, when I say, like, if you suck, like, if you can't keep up with the group and if you can't, like, if you're playing the wrong notes and you're off time, then, like, go home, practice, and then come back. Right. You know, and there was a couple times, like, we legit had to, like, tell someone to, 
stop playing. Yeah. And, you know, because it, not because we're being rude. Well, but you don't want it to suffer. Like, I mean, you're taken away from right. from the the thing. So like, if you want to come here and contribute to the thing, it's like like that's how jazz is. When you go to improvisational jazz, like you go there to like that's the time for you. To, Jacob taught me this. <laughs> Dude, I'm, um. I'm 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 good for a couple cymbal hits, but there's no, no way. No, there's I can no hang way I could. I tried it one time, and they kept looking at me like I have no idea, guys. So I'm just gonna go sit down. <laughs> Did you do the uh, what's the what's the jazz stick pull? Yeah, I was trying the. to hold it all with the grip, you know. And they looked at me like I knew the song. I had no clue. Erica, my wife, was like, "Go up there and play. You're a drummer." And I'm like, "You don't understand. It's not no, the same. no, yeah, it's, not the same. it's different." So I did. I went up there, and they just like all started in, and I was just like. Nah, bro. No, there's no way. But like, I appreciate it, you know. But anyways, like that's where Jacob taught me. That's where you go to work on what you've been working on at home. Right. Right. So the same thing applied in the open jam space of just like people rapping or people playing guitar or people playing drums or people playing the kazoo or the kalimba. Like it doesn't matter what you play. But like, <laughs> I don't mean. <laughs> Someone coming in after two long weeks of practicing the kazoo. <laughs> the kazoo. <laughs> but it's like, hey, guy, hey, can I sign up for like the eight o'clock spot? Uh, take it out of the case. Like, what are you gonna play? <laughs> the kazoo. The what? The, yeah. the kazoo. Like the so kazoo. It was it it was interesting to see it grow. Like having people show up for that specifically as something that started from nothing. And it became a thing. And then just as quickly as it started, it fizzled, you know? Like some of the best things that ever existed. So I was like, I was hella feeling motivated right before I walked into Guitar Center. Mm-hmm. And then I like... <laughs> walked into Guitar Center, you're just like, just kidding. Oh, man. And there was all, there's always that one dude in the music shop who's like shredding in the corner playing Sweet Child of Mine. I was just going to say Sweet Child of Mine always. Yeah. But like good in, in a way that you can't play it. And, and what did I think was going to happen? Did I think that I was going to start playing at all? <laughs> All the ones get. Are you Elijah from the Bellboys? Didn't you guys used to play a Pangea? <laughs> that's. I mean, that's kind of what, kind of the Dude, world that we I, live in in our minds. You're like, yeah, yeah. You, what are you doing out here in Minnesota? You know, the old. It's like the the old it's guys. Like, oh, you guys are great, man. Dude, I felt like in some ways I was like, oh, the old guys like still got it. I thought that maybe I'd get some of those looks, but nah, man. I even set up my phone to like record myself just so I can get like a quick little. A quick little snippet and see how I sounded. The best advice I ever got, um, ever, in all of my musical endeavors, I forget who said it, but it was groundbreaking. And it was, nobody cares about you and your shitty band. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I like, at the time when I heard it, I I don't even remember if it was to me. I feel like I maybe have heard I or, think I was probably maybe it was like Facebook just to like you know like the when this, someone just types something on blue on like white text on blue and just says it and posts right. it or something yeah. I don't remember I, I just saw it and I remember thinking it was hilarious 
but also like it hits so close to home because we were trying and had been trying it for so many years trying to just push anything and everything every day like you just said like waking up and like what am I going to do today to like push my band forward and like who can I meet and like can we get down to LA or out to New York and can I get my demo in the hand of this person that person and like is the public access television video bit going to end up on CNN and then we blast off into the oblivion and like next thing you know we're going to go viral like you know like whatever you're thinking you think in that space and think that this is going to actually this next thing I do is going to be the thing that gets me to where I want to go. And then you read a post like that and it really just makes you <laughs> just it just takes all the wind out of your sails and says like what am I even doing this for? But it like hum, being becoming humble is so vital in the journey towards whatever it is that you're pursuing. Right. And I'm still learning that now like as a, you know, 21-year-old is like <laughs> <laughs> but like those are still lessons that I'm learning in in that in that space of of remaining humble always. Like you you're no, no one cares how good you are at guitar when you are playing in a guitar center. Like everybody there plays guitar. Everybody there plays drum plays drums. Everybody there is a DJ. And like that's the hub. It's like going down to LA and being like, "What do you do?" Like you're an Uber driver, but what do you do? I'm a writer, I'm an actor, I'm a musician. Like of course you are. Mm-hmm. Everybody here is. So it kind of like makes you realize that you're not special but in a good way like you can you can be special in your own way and in your own life and your own four walls and to your family and your friends or whatever but like out there in the world like there's someone that's very similar to who you are to where you came from to what you're doing to the journey that you're on the same pitfalls the same accomplishments so similar so like don't don't put so much pressure on yourself that you can't even like move forward. At the end of the day, like nobody cares. Just do what you want to do. You want to sit in your in your apartment and play guitar all day because you have the day off of work. That's great. That doesn't mean you have to like write an album that day and like your your you know your whole life story on wax and like put it out. No, just noodle on guitar and just do that for the day and, and I, call that day good. And I think when you heard that when you heard like, yo, just so you know, no one gives a shit about you and your shitty band. Yeah. It like cut deep because... Oh, so deep. Because then you found you found yourself in a situation where you're like, you're like, I oh, give a shit. Oh, oh man, like... I give a I, shit about my shitty band. Or more, more importantly, you find out that so much of what you considered to be success is predicated on what other people thought. So then one person comes on, hey, hate to break you, break it to you, man. Just so you know, no one gives a shit about you and your shitty band. And all of a sudden you're like, <laughs> but then, but then you immediately have to take yourself back and be like, what do I care what this guy thinks? Wait, what do I care what anyone thinks?
you brought up LA. You used to live there. What do you feel like? I mean, I don't know. Like, what are some of the lessons that you feel like you've taken from there? Like, what is it? What is it that you've learned, or things that maybe were unbecoming of you, or things that you wanted to like? Oh, well, definitely don't want to be around people like that. Or, or do you long for those days or anything like that? It, it kind of started when I went. I had visited LA randomly with a friend um, and someone what I was dating at the time, and we went down there hung out, did the classic LA thing, meaning like we went and went to Hollywood, you know, went to a party in the hills, um, till like four o'clock in the morning and had like the, the I'm important, notice me, I'm great. This is awesome. Kind of moment in LA that kind of bit me and like, I never recovered from it. Like you got a taste of what it I got could a taste be like of to like, be what, cool. Yeah, I ran into some like C-level celebrities, like people that were on like reality TV. And I ran into some dude. I was binge watching 24 at the time, the show, the show 24. And one of the guys from the show was there. I saw him. He was like smoking a joint off in the corner. And I was just like, dude, I was just watching the show. Like you died like yesterday. What are you doing here? You know, clearly like I was that guy that like shouldn't be at the party. Shouldn't be there. <laughs> Didn't you see the guy from uh, Danger Mouse? I ran into him okay. and was just like, "Dude, I and the love guy your, from Brink. I love your band." Yeah, the guy from Brink. Oh gosh, Val yeah, from Brink. I was like a huge rollerblader back in the day. You know, like almost went pro. Um, blader forever. That's why I moved to LA at AOL.com. Be a professional rollerblader. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder they didn't watch you at the party. I showed up with my rollerblades. <laughs> Do you have rollerblades on? Yeah. Who's this guy with the helmet and the, the wrist guards? Oh, I love twenty-four. <laughs> yeah, wrist guards. You, I show up, I see the guy from that movie. He's in a Disney Channel movie like five years prior. But I notice him and I'm like, you know, I may have had a couple a couple juices before, you know. And like, you know, I started going on and on about like how he was such like, oh, I love you in the movie. And he's looking at me like, dude, can you stop talking about this? Yeah. Like that was so long ago, right? right? I've done huge things since then. Like, you know, Beauty Bring and the... Two. Yeah, like Beauty and the Beast or whatever. There was some dating... Beauty and the Geek or something random like that. You know, I was like, oh, uh, my bad. Should have stuck with Brink. Uh, um, and so that was like my first taste of like L.A. life and as far as I knew. It. And like that's what everybody thinks L.A. is too when, they're, when they've when they never been or they just think it's a bunch of celebrities and house parties and craziness. And essentially that's kind of like the experience I had. So then when I headed back to Sacramento and was started the band. But in your mind – Every single night in LA was a was a party. With yeah, a that's bunch what of, you yeah. did. Yeah, because we did. I mean, we were out. We were from out of town, so that's what we did for like three days straight. And going back home, you know, fast forward a couple years. Home being what? Sacramento. Okay. Going back to Sacramento, starting the band with you guys, and just kind of knowing that, like, if things are if things progress in the right way, and things start to move forward, then. LA is the next place to go just as far as progression is concerned. And I knew that that was the place that I wanted to go next. We should go next. What have you, you know, once we did that and, you know, obviously I don't think it's any, you know, secret to you that, you know, the bands stopped being a band at uh, sometime around 2015 ish, right. you mm-hmm. know, um, an opportunity presented itself for me to go down there. Uh, I got an internship opportunity 
to intern with some producers. Uh, shout out the stereotypes. I knew a guy who was a producer. He's from Sacramento. He lived down there. I hit him up on Facebook. Was like, hey, I would love to intern. You know, I'm 27, 28. I know that's probably way too old to be an intern. <laughs> he's like, you're like a rollerblade. Like, yeah, he's like, yeah, I'm a blader. Yeah, I know, I know the guy from Brink. Uh-huh. So like, he hit me up. Was like, yeah, dude, it's pretty straightforward. Like, come down, you know. And I, I looked at that as like, wow, here's my shot, right? Like, here's my shot. So I took it. Um, you know, my wife and I were dating at the time. She, it's like, she was in support of us relocating to go down there. We jumped on it. She got a job. She was able to transfer. We landed a spot. It was a whole thing. And like, boom, now I'm in LA and I'm like doing this thing. And I'm like interning at this studio with these Grammy nominated, Grammy winning producers. I don't think they had a Grammy at the time. They may have, but they've since got one. Um, and in well, my, they, they worked with people like, yeah, they, they produced like for Justin, Justin Bieber. Bieber and Usher and like, you know, people that were like just names that you yeah. and I just Legit. listened to on the radio. Yeah. yeah. I was like, the, this is my shot as a producer, like right here, right now. Like, and I'm, and I'm in it and I'm getting it and this is awesome. And I went for it. I didn't even have a job. I moved down there without a job. Classic <laughs> LA with no job. <laughs> um, but I got a job working for this advertisement agency uh, you know, I just lived the LA life. I worked all week, went out on the weekends, worked all week, went out on the weekends, you know, networking, quote unquote, but really you're just like getting drunk and forgetting people's names and numbers, which is very anti-marketing and networking, but <laughs> it's kind of like, wait a very minute, anti, do it. very anti-social. Yeah. You're like, what are you doing? You're just not, you're not, you're really doing bad at this, but, but, I, you, like, had, but you had the intent to like make connections. I, I knew that like, if I was going to go down there and I, could surround myself with people that were doing it, then at the very least, through osmosis, I would end up doing it too. If I'm surrounding myself with people that are making it, I'm going to make it. Right. That was my mentality. Did people just seem like they were full of shit? Or did it seem like, if I keep this up, this opportunity could potentially lead to this, to the next opportunity, to eventually, or like, did you feel like you were making headway? Or was it just the same shit show every weekend? Like when I was there and I was in it, because I was there and I was in it, I was making it. Right. Right. Like I'm here. I live in LA. I have a nice apartment. You know, I'm not like, I'm not living on the street begging for change just to like get a gig possibly. No, I had like a good job. I had a vehicle. I could get myself to and from places. I could go to parties. I could network i had like a a job and an internship where i was connected with people that were in the industry i had a lot of things going for me so it kind of was like and that was all that's as far as i had gotten in my plan i guess you could say my only plan was to get down to la and like make it happen well you knew you knew that you knew that you had the skills that when you were asked you see that's see that's that's the best part is um that's, that's where the end of this is going to go, actually. Because I didn't. That's the thing. I didn't have the... I didn't have the confidence then that I have now in, in my skill set. It was new for me. It was a new place. It was new people. We talked earlier about like what we had started and created and done in Sacramento. Sacramento is a really interesting thing where like you're it's you know it's a city and it's it's grown far beyond what we were ever like involved in once we lived out there it's it's you know there's a lot going on there now but at the time we were in sacramento like 
you know, it's that classic big fish, small pond mentality where we were there, we were doing our thing, we were running get, we were running shows and having nights and this and this and that. And I go out to LA and I'm thinking, oh, dude, like I'm the guy, like people know me and I'm like the Eric and the Bellboys and I'm a musician and I'm a producer and this and this and that. And then you go and like meet people that actually do this, not even for a living because you can make such a great living producing for unknown people. I didn't even know that was a thing when mm. I went out there. I was like, all right, like I have to like, I have to get like Lil Bow Wow's contact information, you know, so like I could like produce for him. I have to like, right. you know, he doesn't even go by Bow Wow. He's, I think he's shod now. And, but you uh, didn't think about like the insurance company down the street who might need some voiceover. No, it, it's, you know. it's kind of funny. I'm getting a call from LA um, right now. They must know. I'm hey Eric, talking. we got a deal for you. Yeah. Hey, come <laughs> sign this contract. I, we so heard you on the podcast. We're sorry. It, <laughs> Here's your contract. We want to pay you a hundred million dollars. I'll blade over. You know. <laughs> so like. So you it, didn't. You didn't have. You didn't have the respect. I didn't, the the confidence in yourself at the you time. Yeah. I. I. Looking back now, no, I didn't. I. I just thought all that mattered was being at the right place at the right time, which a lot of it is. A lot of it is knowing people. You're building out your network and just, you know, I kind of lacked the the preparation behind the opportunity presented, you know, you know, mom talks about that all the time. Like when opportunity, um, success is when preparation meets opportunity. So I hadn't really prepared for like even what I was going to do there. I just knew I needed to be there. Uh, it's classic me actually. Like I, I go in and I just jump in head first and I did that and it was a great opportunity. I had the internship, which was awesome. Met some really cool guys, got some exposure to some things in the industry that like in a good way, like just seeing how like the structure is built out and like what it means to like put in studio time, put in work and like, you know, just because you're signed doesn't mean anything really other than like you have some people that you're going to have to pay back one day, you know, based on the music and the and the work, the music that you're making and the work that you're doing. Like that's I had it different in my mind. I was like, oh, if I could just get signed, if we as a band could just get signed, like we'd make it. I still lived in that. And I, that was back then. This was back in 2017, 2018. And things are drastically different nowadays. You don't really need anyone to do anything these days. You can do things all on your own. And that was just, that was kind of like the turning point in the industry from my perspective. So being around people in the studio and having studio nights and like, producers just sitting around kind of coming up with ideas it was really awesome to see because it made me realize that they're just people doing the same things I'm doing they're not like there's no magical combination of things other than just doing the thing that you're best at and over and over again and then offering that service to someone else who's looking to utilize you and make their thing that they do better by including you so and your one, thing. So one thing that I want to, I maybe want the audience to know is that when you were in Sacramento with us and we were doing the band thing, you were a guitarist, singer, songwriter, frontman of the band performing. Mainly that's what we were doing. We were playing shows, we were touring and uh, recording, we had a couple EPs and stuff like that. Live shows was kind of our forte. Mm -hmm. When you moved to LA, this is the point at which you were transitioning into music production. Yeah. So when you say that you were doing the intern, is that something that you kind of were conscious about? Because you had had this like 
kind of guerrilla style marketing approach to presenting yourself as a musician. All you have to do is hop on stage and jam out with your brothers and be like, Hey, what else do you want to know? Like clearly like, you yeah. know, we, we have a vibe. What do you do? What'd you, um, what'd you just see? You yeah, see exactly. Yeah, when you yeah. started transitioning into actually, you know, writing and producing and recording, you kind of had to become a student to eventually find yourself in a position where you could show your beats, show the music that you produced, show what, yeah. like, did you have like a clear idea of what exact, like when you say that you wanted to do your music in LA, like what did you actually picture doing? Yeah. Here's the thing. My beats were trash. Like they were bad when I went to LA. I had just started sort of making beats like in the band I was like writing guitar parts and helping structure songs in real time with music, but I wasn't really putting a lot of time into like electronic based music really at all until later on towards the tail end of the band. And then kind of in that lull in between the, the band ending and then me going to Los Angeles, I had maybe spent like a summer making beats. I had always messed around in reason, but in like reason and uh, logic, but I was still learning like the difference between a beat, <laughs> like a beat that sounds good and just a beat that was made. I, I do have to interject a little bit because, you know, you produce James Cavern's album, you produce Jesse Naomi's I'm, I'm album. I'm talking strictly beats though. Not just, I mean like, I mean literally just like drums and synth noises, like just talking quality of beat, not, my, not my ability to make music or make, put something together i just mean like now looking back at what i made back then your archive and what i can make now is is in my own perspective like it was trash back then like i wouldn't show someone what i made back then as something as like a business card Hmm. but that's what i was kind of i had like a usb in my pocket all the time with like my beats showing these like grammy producers like these planks and these planks as far as i'm concerned (laughs) beans and cigs yeah (laughs) beans and cigs for sure so beans and cigs. What that is is when you're in when you're in the zone making a beat, and you you have to call it quits because you're like twelve hours into the snare drum. You have to call it quits and like save it. You just look around the room and like save it as something or whatever pops into your head. And so at some point, beans and cigs uh, popped in my head. Yeah, I, I was saved, probably I was probably eating beans. I, you know, I just eating beans. I was probably smoking a cig, and I just saved his beans and cigs. And so that <laughs> becomes like a reference point as to like. And I'm sure that's complete. Like I bet you across the board in every producer's archive of beats is just song one, song two. Yeah, worst song ever. Just or yeah, or just a song called like you know dumbbell or yeah. or ficus or something like yeah. that. So so beans. So back then you didn't I hate really this beat. Back then you were like trying to market yourself as like a producer, specifically someone who makes beats for pop artists or rappers or anybody. At that point, anybody. Honestly, like I'm not that aggressive of an individual to really push my agenda. Not only that, but when I was there, they had kind of told a story when I first got there about some dude that was there who would like get all weird when celebrities would show up and talk about their car and always be like, hey, bro, like, I want to show you some of my beats, bro. I don't know why that guy always says the word bro, but he does. Yeah. Um, hey, bro, like, when am I going to get a shot? Yeah. So because I heard that the first week I was there, it was in my mind to not do anything that even remotely portrayed me as that person. So they gave you, like, a cautionary tale, like, just so you know, like, freaking yeah, just Jorge like, didn't like, work don't out. don't be a weirdo, right? Like, just don't be a weirdo. And the, and you'll be doing fine here. And that like it was fine. And and I got a chance to, like sit in the room with some sessions and meet some cool people. Like 
you know, like I got to like meet Miguel and like, I got to meet a couple other like people that I didn't really know back then who they were. And I, I, I don't even really want to name drop them because it, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but like I did name drop Miguel only because, um, he matters. I, well, also because I had a session scheduled as an intern to like do my own music and then they got canceled because Miguel was, uh, had a session. So, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, no, no. He's still no. in there. It's, it's either me or Miguel yeah, guys. Guys, you got to pick one. Me or Miguel. I'm skating away. Um, so anyways, at that point, I just didn't really want to push my agenda until one day one of the guys was like, Hey, like I, I, they wanted to know if someone knew how to run pro, pro tools for a session. And I did. So I like, was like, yeah, I got you. So I ran a, a pro tool session for one of the artists and like, that's that moment, right? Like that everybody like talks about in their career. Like, yeah. And then like some guy got hit by a car and couldn't show up. So like I had to step in and be there and I ran pro Tools session for Bruno Mars. And he was like, you're awesome. And the next thing you know, like I'm living in a mansion on the Hills Yeah. because I did that pro Tools session. I thought like, this is my moment. Like, this is my, my thing. Turns out it wasn't. And that guy doesn't even make music anymore. And I just needed to help because I needed to help. And as a result of that moment, like the, one of the guys in the, in the stereotypes had been like, Hey, yeah, man, like, thanks for doing that session. You should, uh, show me your music, you know? And I was like, dude, I would go home and talk to Erica about it and be like, they want to hear my music. And I'd like stress out about it. I'd like, I'd try to like go home and like make new music yeah. because on Tuesday I'm going to go show them my music and I don't like the music that I have. Right. So if this is my opportunity to show them my music, I have to make me yeah. music weird because I have to do something that's great because this is my opportunity to show them because I've worked so hard to be here and to get this and to have this opportunity. I've moved, I've gotten shitty jobs and my band's no longer, no longer together. And so this is like, this is that moment. So it has to be good. I can't mess it up. So I would like go and like brainstorm, stay up until three o'clock in the morning, making beats and like scratching them and making more and scratching them and like whatever. And then compiling all these ideas onto this USB and then showing up to that internship on Tuesday for Bruh to like not be there. Mm. And then like that went on for like six months. And then I lost steam. And then I was like, yo, I can't like, I can't do this no more. All right. I, I keep setting myself up for this moment that's like not really transpiring for you to like give me the confirmation that I'm good at what right. I do. Yeah. You know? So I, I kind of like slowly, it started to slowly just kind of all of it started to kind of break down. Um, and I was just like, you know what? Like I'm kind of seeing the writing on the walls here. Like I'm, I'm, f I'm free work. You know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm helping you guys out. I'm, I'm giving you my, no, no offense to them either. Like I'm an intern. Right. They laid out the job for me once I got yeah. there, but I had just seen it as this opportunity and I wouldn't allow the opportunity to change from my perspective. It was always the same. We moved into a studio where a homie from uh, the Empire of the Sun shared the studio next door. And in my <clears> mind, <throat> I was like, oh, dude, like, I love his music. He's going to love my music. I'm going to, like, show up. I'm going to bring them their noodles for dinner. And then, like, he's going to be like, hey, aren't you? <laughs> I like your rollerblades. I like your rollerblades. <laughs> <laughs> I rollerblade, too. I don't know. He's from Australia. That's a horrible yeah. um, accent. But, like, I'm not joking, though, dude. Like. You know, I can dive deeper into this later, but that's the world I lived in. I think a lot of us as artists, we live there all the time is in this, this fantasy world of you kind of already have your life planned out for yourself as a dream or as like a fantasy. 
And so you're just waiting for all those things to kind of click, click, click into space, into place. And then when they don't, it's like a travesty. And so that's how I lived most of my life in LA was this series of made up moments that I hoped would happen. And then even when something that happened that was kind of like that, I thought that was my moment, my like, this is the story I'm going to tell when I'm accepting like my Grammy award. This is that I had already lived that moment in its entirety from conception to end. And it wasn't even what I thought it was. Mm. It was, it was something completely different. It was literally just me going and getting Shake Shack for the dudes. Right. That's it. Mm. Nothing more, nothing less. And you know, I learned a lot from that experience. Long, long story short. Um, I, at the end of that internship, I basically told, uh, one of the homies, shout out Kyle. Um, I just told him like, Hey man, like, you think this is ever going to become something, you know, just kind of like, you think it will. And he just said, you know, what? honestly, dude, like, no, I mean, there's not really a lot of people that come and do this internship for us and go on to like, get the gig so best case scenario how would it go for an intern is it just for you to be able to see how this works i think that again it's different things for different people an internship you get from it what you want from it because if i think about the guy who was one of the interns for like one of the guys in the group was an intern for p diddy Hmm. who like would have to like go like do errands for p diddy at three o'clock in the morning so like he was an intern, mm-hmm. you know, so, but, but he was putting in that work right, right. behind the scenes, right. only waiting for what his opportunity mm-hmm. until it, what it came and mm-hmm. he what was ready. And then what exactly. So like all those things were lined up for him. And so I just looked at myself as like, well, this is going to be my, <laughs> the same story. The only difference is, and this is what I learned from this, the entire experience was your story is not the same as anyone else's whatsoever, not even remotely the same. You might be in the same place and meet the same people, but like the outcome is whatever you want it to become or you you take from it whatever you can. And when I saw that I had extracted the most from that experience, I had to call it. I had to just walk away and just be like, you know what? Like, I think I'm done here. Mm. Like, you know, I learned a ton. I learned like, I think the biggest thing I I pulled away from that experience was how good your demo has to be. Mm. If you're a musician and you're putting demos together for whatever reason, like you don't really need record labels now, but if you're trying to put a demo together and you need a record label, like your demo should sound like perfect. Right. You know, and I learned that there because I was doing demos that sounded like trash. Like literally, like you couldn't hear the vocals. You couldn't, the the snare drum was way too loud. Like, and I was like, hey, we put this demo together to show the guys at Interscope. And I'm like, oh, let me play that. And I listened to it and I was like, holy shit, this is like a finished record so it kind of raised the bar for myself in terms of quality yeah now looking back i see that it's something that i learned everything i was supposed to learn which i mean what more could i have learned from that experience than how to become a better producer how to become better at my craft
it was just Erica and I at the time, mm. right? So we, we, it was just the two of us. We were both chasing our careers. You know, Erica was pursuing her career in the makeup world and had an incredible amount of opportunities out there as well. You know, I was still doing the photo stuff too. I've been doing photos and photography or in the photography space since like 2004. Yeah. With the photography studio. I remember coming to see you at work. Basically what you were doing is ironically you were a kind of like the front desk manager managing a studio. Yeah. And I think some of those, some of those studios were like podcast studios. Oh, and that that was my last (laughs) job before I moved from LA. That was my, my final job in Santa Monica. Yeah, exactly. I was, Life is wild. You go into this thing bullheaded with this idea in your mind. And a lot of times you come out the other side with all the things that you were supposed to have and none of the shit that you weren't supposed to have. When I left LA, my experience there, it was filtered out all the stuff I didn't need. And what I thought I wanted also changed. I went there to chase what? parties with C-level celebrities and rollerblading careers, hanging out at the Bel Air mansions. Like who really does that stuff? I guess some people, but like, that's like, I'm going to go meet these people to make this and become this like legit thought that. And then only to find like a really great job in the production space with access to studios, access to podcast studios and people trying to put, projects together and in post-production and TV and you know all of these things where I'm like seeing now this completely different side to the business that is music and production than becoming you know the next Bruno Mars or something like Mm. that or or the next stereotypes like there's so much available like you have to just know what you want to do to some degree there's so much available out there in the world of like artistry or production or music or whatever like what do you want to do with it Mm. and yeah i ended up at kill the messenger studio in santa monica which is a a post-production studio which basically means they did all the mixing and mastering and color correction for tv shows before they went on tv yeah for like vice and discovery channel and some other stuff and they also worked with like ufc so here i am now again with with these these people in the industry but from a different side now now i'm coordinating these projects to completion hmm. and i'm not producing them myself by no stretch but i'm i'm overseeing yeah. them being done and it's, finalized it's always remained in the same genre of quality production yeah. you know whether always. that's producing behind music songwriting or you've always been I mean, for as long as I've known you, you've always been a producer, whether it's ri- writing the songs, <laughs> recording the songs, making the beats, you know, scheduling the photo shoots, editing the photos. Like you've always been kind of like a a production manager as far as I guess that's what I would that would be the title that I'd assign you. And because throughout all this time from like, you know, Sacramento to L.A. to Minneapolis to now, there's always been like a constant of you your job being some executive producer of some form of art. Do you feel like you feel like you did that on purpose or do you feel like it just kind of just came to you? And if so, like, does that align with, I guess, what you were looking to have feed your soul? Like maybe what you might've been looking for out in LA or trying to do with the band. Like it's always been, well, I got to like feed this, this desire and this craving to create. Do you feel like you get that satisfaction from your 
nine to fives. I'm not not to say to put you on the spot, like, hey, are you feeling satisfied with your life? But no, like, no, are, are you able good. to are you able to see you are in a line of work that allows you to be creative and produce art, or does it feel as though you're constantly competing with this and the idea of what ultimately you do want to do? When I when I first got here in Minnesota. I was completely bummed that I had to leave Los Angeles. I felt like I had had to give up my quote unquote dreams and, you know, not to mention like what I started doing when I first got here was kind of, you know, I had to jump in and start, you know, just, I had just had to get a job to get a job. It was, you know, you, you know, it was me installing docks on the lake, which we can go on and on about that. Yeah. That'll Uh, be the next episode. uh, Yeah. Next episode for sure. You know, it took a little bit of time for me to like recalibrate for sure and really find out and deep dive into like what is it that I actually enjoy doing not not what am I good at like because when you're like all over the place in your skill sets with you know you multi-instrumentalist multi-computer program guy different recording software if you like taking things apart and putting them back together you kind of like dive into a lot of different things, a lot of different industries, a lot of different jobs. And so it's kind of hard to pinpoint what it is that you like to do, what you want to do, be it for a job or even as a career in, you know, self-employed, whatever, right? So it's kind of hard and that's, it can be like really internally damaging because you feel like you lack identity at times. um, If you don't know like what you're supposed to be doing, right? So when I went through that journey after I got here in Minnesota and, and, sort of wanted to hold on to what I thought I wanted. And I started really de- doubling down on the producer title and trying to become like an Instagram producer by like reposting beats and retweeting people and like trying to like really chase just clients. I would just find clients and I had a space for a little bit here and I would just record whoever doing whatever and just trying to chase a dollar just to have that, just to try to find my identity as a producer because I had left it in LA as, as far as I was concerned. I learned a lot about the process that is production, taking an idea, making it happen, taking your own idea or in the idea that belongs to someone else and putting all the necessary steps together to have it go from from concept to reality and everything in between. And most artists don't recognize how much that takes. That's not every artist. Some artists thrive in the space that is idea to execution, just through line. Inspirational moment strikes you. I want to paint this. They got paint. They got a canvas. They do it. They're done. Some artists are, can be that free. Other artists have an idea and it never gets past an idea. Other artists have an idea. They can see the end, but they get caught up in the middle. And personally, that's where I always struggled. Mm. I always got caught in the middle. Either it wasn't good enough, either it wasn't <clears throat> quite there, either there's, it needed some stuff, it needs a horn section, it needs these little noises that I don't even know what they are yet. Like it just, everything was needed more and so it was never done. So I started finding myself helping I guess you could say artists that became something that I really enjoyed because it was such a hard thing for me to do personally again going back to what we talked about open mic and our need for like adding to community and building community and contributing whatever we have to community it was a very natural progression for me to want to contribute my skill set or whatever I've learned 
to artists, yeah. be it musicians, be it photographers, designers, whoever, and, and being able to get them over whatever is getting in their way to getting their project done. And so now I find myself, yeah, in production, but like in all capacities, you know, because it could be a photo shoot. It could be a video shoot. It could be an album. It can be an album recording. It could be anything. And now I'm finding so much. I'm not even doing the work, right? I'm not even recording the songs. I'm not even writing the songs, really. I'm just kind of there to help people get over or get through whatever it is that they're going through, whatever hangups. If it's a technical thing, I have the technical abilities to do it. If it's a internal, emotional, mental thing, I, I've gone through that too. And I can kind of talk through mm-hmm. it. You know, if it's a, if it's a creative approach thing, well, let's dissect it. Like, you know, should it go this way? Should it go that way? Whatever it is, I now feel most comfortable and most at peace with what it is that I do for an actual job because I, I know that I'm contributing whatever it is that I'm contributing. I'm helping the process move forward and move forward to completion. So you kind of needed in the same way that someone needs your services, you kind of need people to get to a point where they can't do anymore. Like in order for you to be the producer that you are, mm-hmm. you need an artist who <laughs> doesn't need, know how to, yeah, who needs something, who needs something. I mean, just while I've been sitting here, I can think of five albums that you've produced. Jesse Naomi, there's John Kep, uh, James Cavern, Hannah, Channa Roseanne, sorry, Autumn of 81, Dorrance. So throughout this whole span of shout time. Shout out Dorrance, dude. Shout out Dorrance. Um, throughout that whole span of time, you know, everybody that I've listed fits within the timeline of Pangea Eric to the Eric sitting just to the left of me because you know autumn autumn just came out with her album four months ago i'd say so i bet you it's been pretty it's i'm just gonna say it's been cool to see from my perspective you really you really being able to see what it is that comes naturally to you but ultimately at the same time is your specialty and feeds your spirit you know because it's remained a constant over you know, all these years and it's always, yeah, it's always been the same. The and with same, you and with you arrive at the same place. Yeah, yeah. And with you gravitating towards emotions and feelings of satisfaction that are more organic, that had to come from a really real life event. And I can't help but think that your perspective on life and what really fed your spirit came from, you know, when you had a daughter. So that was, that was right before you guys moved away from LA. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, 2017. Shout out Stevie. Shout out Stevie. To say that was a moment is an understatement. Again, the universe has a really funny way of showing you what you're, if you listen and watch it and receive it, finding what you're supposed to do, not what you want to do. 
and there's a very big difference in that because I think we get caught up in what we want to do that we miss what we're supposed to be doing. We are like, and it's and and there's and it, we get caught up in the most basic menial. Is menial a word? Minimal. Minimal. Min, mini, I don't know where menial came from. Minimal. Yeah, I liked most, it. Um, minuscule was the word I was yeah. thinking. Yeah, I just make up words, yeah. which is fine. So the most minuscule things, <laughs> we get caught up in the most minuscule thing, and we miss out on the on the greater opportunity presented for us. So, what happened when I became a dad was after the sheer panic of it all, of having to care for a human being, provide and protect for a human being. After that went away, actually, yeah, that doesn't ever really go away. After that sunk in. After that sunk, yeah, after that like based, you have to dig deep and find what drives you. Like what drives you to like get out of bed? Some people find that. Some people don't. And I, it's my hope and wish and prayer that most people can. Because when you find that thing that drives you, you find who you are and what you are and what you can offer. And then that's where you find your purpose. And that's where you find what you're supposed to do. Because my whole Los Angeles experience is actually more a representation of the person that I used to be of just thinking that the world was the world owed me this thing because I had put in this work and created these things and these opportunities for myself. So like they owed me this. When at the end of the day, what did we say earlier, right? Like no one gives a shit about you and your shitty yeah. band. Like the world doesn't owe you anything. But like, what are you gonna go out and get? And what are you gonna go out and do? And what are you gonna go out? The best part is what you. What are you gonna go out and contribute? And when I became a father, I realized that like I need to give of myself, but I can't until I find at least a portion of who I am. And when you need I to give yourself to to. To my family, right? You know, to I. But in order to give the best version of who I am to my family, I have to give the best version of myself to the world, right? And in order to give the best version of myself to the world, I have to like find out who I am, right? Like you have to put your best foot forward, yeah, legit, right? And and that meant so. So what does the universe do? The universe says, "Okay, great, you're gonna go get a job at UPS because that's what you're gonna do." <clears throat> and I'm like, and what we're talking about is. The pandemic. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah every, I got, you know, I got yeah. let go like, from my photography you, job and yeah, I needed what, a job. You're, you're willing to do whatever it takes. Yeah. So. And I had to do whatever it takes. But even in doing whatever it takes, you still find yourself in this space that you're uncomfortable in. And you know that, like, I'm going to do this. But you can also say, right after you say that, but I don't like this. Mm. And, so it's kind of ego dissolving, like when you, oh, had, a, when you had a child. Uh, and... Oddly enough, I listened to a lot of um, Eckhart Tolle at the time, which was all about like, you know, acknowledging your ego and, you know, putting your ego like aside, ego death and things like that. And like really getting beyond, like get like moving past yourself, like move out of your own way kind of stuff. And so I can contribute so much to just the birth of my daughter. But I would say the biggest thing is when she came into this world a piece of me had to like die and, 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 and go away. Right. Because my new purpose in life was, was nurturing and caring for her. Right. That became my purpose and mm-hmm. everything else sort of was molded and shifted around that. Mm-hmm. And then very closely, if not like right with that is like me nurturing and caring for my wife. Mm-hmm. 
because she gifted me with my daughter. Right. So they're one and the same in terms of like space in my heart and mm. in my existence and my world. So then now I have like this new purpose in life to like care for them, but I still like want to be this guy, this producer <laughs> and this thing right. and this LA whatever. So how can like the two of those things like coincide? It's like, hey, hey, you don't have to go to LA and be a producer. I just need you to be an awesome dad and husband. Yeah, yeah, but exactly. you, it's almost like in some ways finding that greater purpose is almost like a relief because I can imagine that in some ways it was just like, well, I know I want to do this, but like what and how do I want to do this and what do I want to get out of it? So then all of a sudden you become a husband and a dad mm -hmm. and then it's like a, okay, now I really want to do this. Yeah. And not, but I, I really want to do this. I have no clue what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know less about this than I did about producing. Let's just call it reach, like following your dreams. Let's just call it that, yeah. you know, because I feel like there's a lot of space to work within what that could mean. The conquest for purpose or the search of self. Do you find it's, uh, it's clearer now or do you feel like in some ways it's uh, not now you're trying to balance the two? Like on one hand, like, well, of course I got to show up for my family and I love and I want to be the best version of myself for them. And of course, that, that goes without saying. It's a no-brainer that I'm going to be an awesome dad and an awesome husband. All I have to do now is try to balance that out with also feeding my spirit and reaching my goals or, or whatever that could mean. Do you feel like those work in tandem with one another or now like fulfilling your wildest heart's desires? There's just kind of secondary now. It's 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 an interesting thing those those wants and those desires because when you have and this isn't for everyone this is for me when I had my daughter and I became a father and now I have a family there was a a shift for sure in what was important that shift wasn't easy and it didn't happen overnight. I still like in the very early stages of like, you know, our family and, you know, relocating here and finding jobs. And I was still trying to like burn the midnight oil, trying to make things happen in, in the production world, in the music world. I'd stay up till two o'clock, three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning sometimes trying to work and then waking up at eight and like going and like installing docks or you know or driving an hour to go work for two hours at the music studio and like like I was still trying to just like push this thing that I couldn't really like let go of it wasn't until 2020 around the pandemic like losing dad and the pandemic were kind of like it was a force that could not be denied <laughs> in terms of things like are different, <laughs> really changing things right. for sure. Like I think one of the two of those things could have been enough to change your perspective and outlook on like personal pursuits in the artist space. Right. Both of them were enough to like not 
destroy it, but just kind of like really look at it differently. Yes. To answer your question very straightforwardly, is it harder? Yes, it is. It's very, it's, it's difficult to, I don't really make time for personal artistic endeavors short of like painting on datter days with Stevie. Mm. You know, and I've actually gotten a little pretty good, yeah. uh, just because I'm trying. So, dad, Dadder Days is your Dadder Days is our mine and Stevie's hangout day on Saturdays. Dad, Saturdays, Dadder Day. Yeah, you get it. It's clever. I'm an artist, um, <laughs> and a rollerblader. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but even that is shifting. If if it's all work and you know no play, like what fun is that? Right. And, and so I'm I'm relearning now what really is exciting about music. And I haven't made a piece of music in like a little under a year, maybe like of just like sitting down and just trying something, not for any specific reason other than like, I'm just busy, you know, like I just, my free time is spent doing other things. Right. You know, I've gotten really, you know, this, I've gotten really into the stock space. Yeah. So yeah, we'll f- talk about that next episode. Next time, yeah. But in my free next time, episode. that's a long conversation. <laughs> I'm going to have to stop you right there. Sell it all. Buy it all. Um, <laughs> that's my stock advice. The worst stock advice. <laughs> just no impulse just, control. I'm, just do what yeah, you want, man. Yeah, basically. That's all, that's all anyone's ever doing. But now I'm, I'm realizing that what do I enjoy about creating something? It's a weird thing to ask yourself, but like, what do I even like about it? Because if it's nothing but frustration and like self analyzing of like quality control and like you know when you're going into that space to be quote unquote free and just free flow (laughs) like i've i'm an artist at the core but that doesn't mean like i've been an artist for x amount of years that i've been producing i think they're two very different things you can be an artist and a producer but like if you're mainly a producer essentially like you're caring for nurturing and helping grow and establish an artist so you have to be able to speak artist and you have to be able to communicate with an artist and sometimes that takes removing yourself from that space because if you are also that vulnerable artist in that space and and your your will and your agenda and your everything is kind of intertwined with this other person that you're working for and you don't move forward so you kind of have to be that neutral party and sometimes when you're that neutral party for so long you kind of forget that like oh yeah i I make this stuff too right i do this too the same Mm. thing happened with me in photography like I, I i take pictures i'm really good at it i've been doing it for a very long time i love it it's great but because now i produce photo shoots I don't ever really take photos ever. Like if somebody was to ask you what you do, you would probably list that you're a photographer like seventh. Yeah. Right. But But, yet you've been doing it for 20 years. Yeah. But I knew it for 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. And I can pick it up. Like, like you said, like the drums, like I can pick it up and I might be a little rusty, but like, you know, put me on, you know, two or three shoots after the fact and I'm dialed in, Yes. you know, and that's just kind of how it goes. So I've been able to really find my relaxation in the fact that I just kind of, oversee it all in a way in the yeah. in the artist space those and things are always okay. gonna they're always gonna be there for you and and i've become most comfortable now and most and actually very satisfied in being that person i used to feel like cheated and unsatisfied and left kind of like wanting more when i when i would be producing someone and i would be like well let me just go in and do it or 
or if this was my song, I'd do it this way, or if this was my shoot, I'd do it this way. And I realized that I was becoming a, a roadblock for individuals' creativity and not allowing them to just be themselves because I'm injecting my opinion. Well, that's not producing. Yeah. At all. It's, that's micromanaging and being a weirdo. Hmm. To be a producer, from my perspective, is being available. Why do you think you did that? Because <laughs> it's a it's a longer answer, but in short, it. I because would, I, because I understand the reason I'm asking is because I understand well, why yeah. why do we do that? I think I think we do it all the time when we when we hear music and you know when you're an artistic person and you hear someone's interpretation of their art, it, it, it feels as though you kind of need to lend your your artistic expression. I would have done it this way. Exactly. Yeah. It's just like, hey. Because I'm, you... I'm also an artist. Yeah. yeah. What is that? It's the it's... ego. Oh, for sure. 100% ego. It's all like, I want to share my thoughts with this. It's Let's go back to the jam night in Sacramento and what that was really about and what that meant. Open mic in its truest form. It's a conversation of music. People openly conversing about what they're feeling at the time in music. No egos. You have to have skill, though. You have to be able to hang. You have to be able to talk. If you can't talk, if you can't play, you can't really like come back tomorrow or the next week when you're ready to talk and ready to contribute. But if you go in there and you start yelling and just you're off, you're just not feeling the vibe of the room. Yeah, you're taking away. You're taking away, and you're you're drawing that attention on yourself, and you're making it about yourself. And we've had plenty of people, we had plenty of people back then that would do that. And we would like give them, you know, 45 seconds. Yeah. Okay. And then like, get out of there, dude. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, exactly. But those people, they were consistent with that because that's all they knew. Same as the case when you're producing and when you're contributing and helping an artist pursue whatever it is that they're pursuing. If you're trying, if, you, if they're coming to you to fill that void, to fill that gap, own that shit. Like legit, like jump in and do that thing. And be that person with all confidence and with all abilities. Play those parts. Write that shit. Write that stuff. Be that person. But there's all you have to also be able to shift and just be a, a sponge. Can you a, give an example? Absolutely. For, for people who don't understand what music producers actually do. And I, this goes with not just music production, just production in general. It could be it could be photography, it can be video, it can be anything. Just if if you're being asked to oversee the, the, the starting and the completion of a project from an artistic perspective, you can take what needs to be done and allow it to happen and essentially just kind of be a guiding force to make sure that it reaches the end. Done well, of high quality, based on the person that needs it, be, be that the artist, or in the production world, in the retail space that I currently work in, the client. Right? Like make sure the make sure the models get their pictures taken. Make sure it looks like this, sounds like this, looks like this, etc. If all I'm doing is overseeing it and making sure that it's happening in the time frame in which it needs to happen, to the level in which it needs to happen, I'm really just doing my job at the end of the day. And everybody that's surrounding and is part of the project, be it two people or 20 people, at the end of the day, as long as it gets done, the production is a success. Now, if I if I start to weave in my personal preferences based on how I would do them or how I like it or how I would want it to be done, it muddies the 
the, the process up so much that you're adding something that wasn't asked for, unless, again, unless it's being asked, hey, what would you do here? Perfect. I was just thinking that. Or, oh, I need something. I have an idea. What if you tried this mm. or that or whatever? There's moments where you can do that. I, when I was doing um, Autumn's project, uh, Remind Me to Not Be Afraid, live now on Spotify and streaming um, channels everywhere. Link in the description. That was one of the most interesting but very natural projects that I've ever done. She's my older sister. She's one of the main reasons why I started doing music in the first place, you know. Growing up around her and watching her play piano, watching her play guitar, I immediately was like, I want to do whatever it is she's doing. But then to co-produce it alongside her, at the very early stages of that project, I started to do that thing where I like push my thoughts and tastes and styles and things into what she wanted and was met with some resistance not in a bad way, but just in a very, like, I don't really like that. Right. Or not what I was thinking. Yeah. And I was just like, well, well I mean, like, I'm like, come on. Yeah. Like, this is like. This is what, what I do. This is what I do. Yeah. That voice. Um, <laughs> but, like, so it took a little bit of learning, but it was so smooth because I had already gone through all of the other years of, like, the production roller coaster that I knew what I, I had, I could identify what I was doing and I could stop right. and shift. Yeah. The world of production is if you, if you are comfortable in that space, it's actually quite easy because all you're really doing is like constantly shifting. Yeah. All you're really doing is just what is the temperature in the room? What should I be, what should I be doing? And sometimes all you really need to do is just like shut up. Yeah. And reinforce that the person that is working at this thing is great at what they're doing. Absolutely. You know, artists can be what? Erica Badu says it. Like, I'm an artist and I'm sensitive about my shit. Yeah. Because they're being vulnerable. They're exposing who they are at the deepest core, at the deepest level of their individuality. Putting this display on about who they are, what they are, and what they believe in. This is a very vulnerable, vulnerable place to be. Yeah. When you're that vulnerable, you need some, some guidance. Not like don't do this or do this, but just even sometimes just a reminder, like, yo, you need some like, affirmation. You're, you're great. Yeah. You know, like you're great. Like some of the most successful artists in the world think they're terrible. Yeah. Which is crazy. Like you're incredibly successful. You sell out stadiums and you don't think you're good. Yeah. You know, like what is that? It's because like, you know, you're, you're still, and I can say this honestly because as also an artist, I feel that exact same way. Yes. I have a computer full of music that nobody's ever heard. Right. Because I don't think it's good. Mm. And maybe one day people will hear it, maybe not. But I don't know. Because that's how I feel as an artist, so I can see that in other people, which makes me a good producer.
it sounds like what you're saying is you learn to really finesse and read what it is that people, any artist in that moment needs at that time. Yeah. Like, I'm going to read the room. I'm going to see you work with what you're doing, whether it be, you know, I mean, you and I, when we did a photo shoot, you know, hey, get in there. Like, you're probably going to let like a model before you start snapping photos, you're going to kind of let them like, let me see what you got. You know, they start doing their looks. Okay. Okay. I see it. it. Don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Don't do that. It's like, (laughs) Hey, I I see what you're going for. Like try it a bit like this. When, when they try a guitar riff, it's like, you're going to give them the opportunity to lay out their ideas, express their art, but you're going to wait and be like, is this a moment where I need to implement my own ideas and give my own takes? Or do I need to step back? Or does this person need like a little nudge and a little kick in the ass, obviously, and be like, yeah. hey, bro, like that sounds good. Like you need to more do that. that, like more of that, do yeah. that. Yeah. So with that, you kind of learning, I guess, like the human temperament and dealing with the sensitive individual. Have you been able to implement those same practices when it comes to producing yourself? You know, when it comes to when you sit down and you want to start when you kind of do decide to pick up the guitar again or start doing music or, you know, whatever it is you want to do artistically, those roadblocks that you fell, felt had kind of always been in your way. Are you going to use that same sort of technique and delicacy on yourself to know when to let yourself be a free artist or, you know, dial it back or reel it in? Like, yeah. have you been able to you're learn? Good. You're good. You're good. You're well, good. I mean, I, I, I do. at this. I, <laughs> I do. I'm this. like, don't turn it on me, man. Come Bro, on I, I, no, that's, that's a great, that's a great Symmetry Great between question. takes, man. Yeah, these are the, these are conversations that like I ask myself, like, and it's it's I struggle with with some of the same same things that you've expressed, and you know, podcasting in particular has has in in a really really cool way. It's 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 something that no one I know does, which mm-hmm. is very different from everything else I've chosen to get involved with. Like, you want to bring up rollerblading? Like, <laughs> I started rollerblading because y'all were rollerblading. Yeah. You know, I started playing the drums because you were playing the drums. I started playing the guitar because Jacob was playing the guitar. And I started doing these things because I was just, you know, kind of a, just a, a creature in my own habitat. Like, I mean, I grew up playing music and being on stage and being an artist because our parents were artists and like public speakers, and all these things. And it's just, I fell into these roles because I just did. Yeah. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. Like, I really love everything that I do. I love everything I'm interested in. I live a very exciting life. I'm really thankful for that. Like, I really am happy that I find so much joy in creating. I'm really, really happy that I, I do have talents. Like, I'm really blessed and I'm really thankful for that. The thing with podcasting is that, like, I really did just have to kind of jump in. And mm-hmm. throughout this whole process, it's been a lot of learning, but a lot of the learning has come from me just jumping in. So then when I find myself having these conversations and, you know, challenging the way that the human brain works, like those are some of the things that I'm going through as well. It's like, what am I really trying to do with this podcast? What am I really trying to like on my last episode, I did one on about creativity and it was kind of just like the roadblocks that we deal with. And we don't really understand how often in life that we're actually leading the life that we're aspiring to live. Like we already are doing those things. Like mm-hmm. it's like, Oh, I want yeah, to we're be, in it. Yep. Yeah. I want to record a podcast and I want to be on Spotify. It's like, well, I mean, well it is bro. It's like, yeah, yeah. But like one day I'd like to be like, I want to be know. the next Rogan. 
Right. Or, or, or like, I want to be like, I want to like interview interesting people. It's like, well, I am right now. Or it's like, you know, I want to like start playing shows. And like, when I want to start playing shows, it's like, dude, like take a step back and like, you really do got to connect the dots in order for yourself to realize that like you are leading that fulfilling life that you can sometimes feel like you're chasing after. So the reason I asked you that is because I'm pretty hard on myself as well when it comes to creativity and things like that Mm -hmm. and i'm trying to find a balance between like when do you need to lead with compassion with yourself and Mm -hmm. when do you need to like you know you know slap yourself on the back of the head and be like yo bro like come on bro like let's go you got this i mean i'd be lying if i if i said i didn't feel it multiple times even just sitting here for the last however long you know and just being like yo like like hearing myself talk about what i've done and what i've been through and the journeys that I've been on. But then like if I compare them to the success stories that I've heard of and read, then I'll look at them and say like, yeah, I mean, that's kind of like a micro version of that thing, right? Which is bullshit, first of all, because all we have is this life and all we have is this time here. So everything that we do is the experiences that we have and we're in it. We're not trying to do it. We're, we're, we're currently doing that thing that we want to do, whatever that is, even if it changes multiple times. Even if you started this pursuit of life as a painter and then you became a stockbroker, you're, you're doing it, this life thing, right? That moment, or it was a series of moments, and it was actually like a, more of a series of like 15 moments, <laughs> if I think about it really, but that pursuit of becoming comfortable with what it is that I am currently doing was hard because of the internal struggle of am I doing enough am I doing it to the level at which I should be doing it and the worst part was and this is it's it's the worst I think for everyone is am I doing it to the level of that person right and that's such a killer to your dreams and to your success into your joy it's a it's an instant joy killer anytime we compare ourselves to someone yeah, comparison is the thief of joy it really is like and you hear that and it's a cool bumper sticker or facebook post with like little like, sparrows in the background or whatever but like it really is and i think because we can see so much of what people are doing in a photo or a video or a cool post of what what you know like comparison is a killer and it was when i stopped doing that or tried at least to, when I started incorporating trying to not do that. I right. still do it all the time. What yeah. am I, what am I, who am I lying to? And like even that acceptance of the fact that I do it is is a journey. It's an accomplishment of right. mine. Yeah. Because I'm like, yo, like, hey, like you struggle with this. You should like not. You should be proud of the things that you do. And I am very proud of the things that I've done, the things that I have to offer individuals, and the things that I offer my family. So when it comes to creating my own things, I do struggle with that voice that says it's good enough put it out that's a that's a current thing that i'm working on so much so that i am not doing anything right now Mm. because i'm still learning that like what it is that i do is is good enough like you're not doing anything artistic i'm not doing anything artistic at the moment right um but we talked earlier about it and yeah it'll be another podcast but oddly enough diving into the financial world has taught me a lot about who i am as a person how to manage my expectations, my emotions, imagination, like how to just manage Eric. And it's really hard mm. keeping yourself stable and manageable in 
logical and, and looking at something with realistic expectations. Again, I talked to you about the opportunity that I had presented myself or the opportunity I chased in Los Angeles. When I went there, I had already accepted my Grammy award for being best producer and I hadn't even moved there yet. <laughs> right. Yeah. So talk about like an exploitation of expectations and I, and I, and that becomes a pattern of behavior. And then you live in those false expectations and then lead yourself to disappointment because your expectations were met. But how realistic were your expectations? Mm. And I'm not saying put parameters on your, your abilities and your potential. I, no, your potential is endless. But like, what are you expecting from the thing that you're doing? Right. You know, shout out to my wife, Erica, for really helping me understand that the joy is in the journey. And the thing that you're doing, you're really doing it. And, and you really are that thing. Mm-hmm. We're always growing. We're always evolving. And we're always refining who we are. Mm. And that's become my new sweet spot. Like, I don't know everything. I'm trying to. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'd I'm like to know. To, I would love to know it all. And there's never been, I always tell people this, there's never been more information available to us as, as a human species ever in history. Yeah, Belly and I were talking about that the other day because she was getting frustrated because we were talking about like high yield savings accounts and stuff like that. And she's like, I get so frustrated being a smart person. And I was like, (laughs) and I was like, why? She's like, because when, (laughs) because when you're a smart person, you don't have any excuse as to not put yourself in a position to learn something. Like if you are smart enough to know that all you have to do is lather, rinse and repeat, meaning all you have to do is just, practice and implement your practices and show up every day and you'll get better and then you'll succeed. Like if you're intellectual enough to understand that it's as simple as that at the same time, living in this world where everything is like you said, all knowledge is at the tip of your fingertips and you have no excuse. excuse. You find yourself in this position where you're just like, man, I'm kind of boxed into like all these harsh realities of the fact that I don't have any excuses. And sometimes excuses... We have them. They're there. Well, what I'm saying is I don't have any valid excuses. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. I don't have any valid excuses excuses. as to why I can't or shouldn't. And those are some of the things that I'm really trying to... Because it does take a balance, you know, because you could sit there and be like, hey, man, everything's at the tip of your fingers. All you got to do is go on YouTube. You can learn anything you want. But like you really can't. You really, really (laughs) can't. But also at the same time, you have to know when it's like, no, it's Saturday. That's, or like, or key. like, no, yeah, like you've been working 60 hours this week. I think you should just sit here and listen to your old records. Yeah. So that's, what it, that's, that's, that's big, bro. Like that's, that's, that's really big, bro. It's huge. Yeah. It's huge. And it's like the production management <laughs> of yourself. So with you being like a producer, you know, let's say of a child, you know, you're kind of like a, <laughs> you're kind of shaping and, you know, producing this child, a collaborative effort, you and your wife, you and Erica, with you kind of seeing her, she's about to start school next week. Yeah. She's crazy. what, six and out, about to be six. six. Her yeah. birthday's on the 21st. Yeah. Um, her favorite uncle in the world knew that immediately. That. So... 
you know, with everything that we've been talking about and you tying in being a creative and being an individual, but at the same time being a dad and trying to monitor your skills and your emotions and all these things and channel them, you also have a responsibility to like raise this human being. What are some of the things that you have been focusing on, I guess, or what do you see as the most vital lessons to constantly remind her of every single day? Like the things to harness, the thoughts to stay away from, the people to stay away from. Like, I guess if there was one thing that you could really instill within her to lead the most prosperous life, what do you feel like you're constantly trying to convey to her every single day? My initial response to that would be actually a note to, to parents listening um, before I say what I, what I would like from her. What, what I've learned as a parent producing, quote unquote, this child, if you will, <laughs> this project management that is parenting, the best thing that you can give a child is time, hands down, always. They don't care about the job you work. They don't care about the thing that you're trying to get for them. They just want to, like, they want dad or day. That's it. They want time with you always because one day they won't. And even when they don't, they still kind of do want to spend time with you just on, on, on their own time when they're old enough to drive and go places and do things. That's something I learned is like, and that's why I've enforced dad or days because it's like I put down the learning and invest in time with my child. Um, and it's been a game changer for our, our relationship. Game changer. We're buds. We're best buds. And that's something I've always wanted. So it confirms to me that I'm killing it at this dad thing. Yeah. Shout out Jeff. He would always say that to me. Jeff's my best friend. In Stevie, my daughter, I'm very careful about what I think she should do or, or, or communicating to her what I think she should do. Because... Everything's available to her right now as a kid at, at, at five, going on six, going on 16, going on 22. So I don't like to really see that she does something and then try to correct what I see in, or have seen in myself and see that in her and then try to correct it because it's a sensitive thing. She may not struggle with that like I struggle with it. So it may not mean the same thing to her. So now I'm correcting this thing in her that was a shortcoming of myself, mm. starting a project and not finishing it. Starting building the Legos and then leaving them on the house. Is, does she have a problem with like putting things off? Does she have ADHD? Does she struggle with this and this and that? I don't know. Maybe she's just five and something else caught her attention and she wanted to go do it. But if I like look at her through the lens that I look at myself, like that's not accurate. Right. For me, this is just my own personal style of parenting is like... I try my best to not try to correct things in her that I've done. Right. But what I do try to do is I try to reinforce her confidence constantly and let her know that like whatever she does, it's great. Just strictly the fact that she's doing it. So many of us don't even get to that point, right? Just doing it. Just like literally like diving in. I think if we're, if you're around the, artist space enough like you know people can talk themselves up or talk themselves into a thing but just as immediately talk themselves out of a thing so when i see her like something i am flooded with this need to support that thing that she's into even if it lasts 24 hours 
You're into Legos? I'm going to buy you Legos. Or I'm going to get you Legos. Or we're going to talk about Legos. Or we're going to watch Lego videos. You like music? Let's do music. One day she wanted to... She wanted a dadder day, a sports-themed dadder day. So we went out and played soccer and baseball and football, like, all in one day. Like, like so, like, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I can pour it on heavy, but it's almost like, what, like, let's do the things. Let's do all the things then, like, because the world is available to you. And then she's like, oh, I don't really want to do that. I'm like, okay, that's fine. You know, instead of trying to push, like, you're going to do this, you're going to do sports like I did sports, you're going to rollerblade, you're going to do music, you're going to do these things because I did them. Like, who cares? I don't care if she, I don't know, insert something that's not even that cool right. into that space. But that doesn't matter because it's, it's, it's cool because she's doing it. Mm-hmm. That's it. Because I'm more concerned about the person that she becomes, that she's kind and that she's respectful to individuals and that she, I, I, I pray that she has the same heart for community like I do and for seeing the need in people and wanting to be there for that person. Those are the things that matter to me. What she does and what she pursues could care less what it is. Mm. I just want to support it and allow her the freedom to build her confidence instead of me trying to fill a void in her that I had I think sometimes as parents it's so easy for us to cross those lines I struggle with this so you struggle with this it's not true that doesn't happen they're an individual you know they're a product of their environment you know they're gonna be like you they're gonna mimic you a lot you're just like your dad you're Mm -hmm. just like your mom you know you're just like your whatever so I think it's so easy for us to jump into that that mode of, of, um, projection. Thank you. Yeah. Projection. But I try to be very cautious of what I'm reinforcing right. with her and, and what's at the forefront of my mind, which oddly enough is actually something that I do and have lacked in the past, which is confidence. But, but I kind of looked at it and been like, Oh, like I understand what it feels like to lack confidence. Mm. So I'm going to meet you with an understanding, not with like a, just get up there and do it. Right. Just, just be, be brave. Come on. Like, just go, just go. Like, no, that doesn't do anything right for her. And, and it's taught me a lot, a, a lot, a lot about, about what's important to me. And it taught a lot about my childhood and how I was raised and, and how much I valued my parents and cause they did the same thing. You know, they just, they let me be, you know, and then, and then it saw something in me that maybe needed some reinforcing yep. and then they just dove head in and reinforced it right? by allowing me to just be, I mean, you, you know, they let me, I did sports and then I quit sports and did music and then I moved away and then I did this and I did that and they were always there just been like, all right, you know, just what dad always say, just like, I just want you to do, just want you to do good. Yeah. Just do right. Just do right. Yeah. yeah. Just do right. So that's all I want from her is just to do, just to do right and just love people. Eric, what's one thing you want to lead the people with? You know, some things that you're discovering or maybe just a quick piece of advice or. 
Oh man, do I end on a funny note or do I end on a serious note? You can do whatever you want, I man. I know. I'm just. I'm really fifty-fifty right now. Oh jeez. Okay, so I'm in an incredible moment right now in my life because even though I've experienced a ton, I'm simultaneously experiencing that like I know nothing and I'm still doing and so I would just encourage people to really really be in the moment and that sounds like mad cliche and like what does it even mean to be in the moment I'll, I'll say this that next time that you're doing something that you enjoy that you know that you enjoy going to the movies with your friends going to the lake going on a walk, driving to work that, at a job that you enjoy or coming off of work at a job that you hate or whatever it is. Try to take like a snapshot or just like an acknowledgement that you're doing it. Whatever it is that you're doing. Just give yourself some like props. If you're almost done with this thing that you've been working on, this project, and you just can't get it through the door, like take a second and really look back on how much you've worked on it thus far and like give yourself some, give yourself some fucking credit, man. I don't think we give ourselves enough credit. We're our worst enemy. We're our biggest critic. We've been through so much as a species within the last two years. Go back further, but just let's just immediately say last two years. So much, right? Like, give yourself some like, some congratulations on like getting this far. If that be your job or your home life or your personal life or the fact that you left all of those things and you're just fighting for yourself now, give yourself some credit and give yourself acknowledgement that you're doing great. Because the very fact that you're here, even if the shit around you sucks, like, you're here with us still, and you're making it. And that's sometimes enough. There's nothing that someone else is doing that's greater than what you're doing. At all. They might know more than you, but it's not better. Sometimes, like, we mistake happiness and experience with knowledge and like they're not the same things you can gain all the knowledge in the world and be miserable or you can have all the experiences in the world and still be sad I mean I'm not saying I have an end all to be all cure all for like internal sadness or anything like that but at the end of the day if we just take a moment and acknowledge that life is good and we're here and we're breathing sometimes that's enough and that thing that you're working on isn't going to end you and it's not going to take you through to the end either keep going though you're going to get there this is Symmetry Between Takes thank you for joining us my name is Elijah joining me today was Eric have a great day Happy birthday, Eric. Love you. Happy birthday, Eric. Happy birthday, buddy. I love you. You have a wonderful day. Happy birthday, Eric. We love you so much. What's up, dude? I just wanted to wish you happy birthday. Love you, brother. Happy birthday, Miss.
Congrats on another year being alive. Happy birthday to the brother that I never had and the brother that I always had. Love you, Eric. Happy birthday, Biddy. Happy birthday, my best bro. My day one, the one I can laugh and cry with in the same conversation. You make me a better person, and I will speak into existence that this next year of life is going to bring you more blessings than you could dream of. Love you, my dude. Happy birthday. Thank you for listening to this episode of Symmetry Between Takes featuring Like Tribes. All the music that you've heard in this episode is written, recorded, and produced by Like Tribes himself. If you want to hear more of his catalog, I'm going to leave a link in the description. I'm so happy to be back with you all. It's been a fantastic summer and I have so much to share with you. Moving forward, I'll be putting out two episodes a month. One on the 1st and one on the 15th. So be sure to follow me on Instagram and here on Spotify so you'll know every time I put out a new episode. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.